We can we can we can do this. We can swing this. Can we? Where's my notebook? Great. I don't know. Oh, underneath the food. Yeah, which yeah, is yeah. new for us. All right, <laughs> it's a new thing to juggle. Okay, so do you want to? You ready? You can do it. Yeah, I can do it. I can swing it. So many, so many, so many damn books. Hi, hello, welcome There's to so many damn books. I am Christopher. I'm Drew. And today we have Evan Hanksor, uh, our first, Hanksor. our our first. <laughs> Illiterate, celebrity illiterate guest? guest well first illiterate guest <laughs> yeah, thank yeah. you <laughs> it's it's strange to not call him an author because you have written a cookbook that's true yeah so, i have also published a poem upon one time so oh, really uh, where yeah it was a long time ago it was in the new orleans review back when i was down at tulane oh. cool yeah so i guess it was after i left but anyway yeah Evan is a chef here in New York. Uh, you got your start here in New York at La Conda Verde. I worked there when I first got here, yeah, for then a, few, you, a few brief months. you came to Egg, uh, which is where you still are. You also, uh, you and George Weld have Parish Hall as well. We had Parish Hall, yeah, for a couple years in there, and then we closed it a little over two years ago and moved Egg into that space, which is, which is where it now resides. Nice. Uh, where you are churning out goddamn delicious food all yeah. the time. All yeah. the time. I'm going to um, talk about the drink I made for you. I, I, you please, I had my. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like I had my. Um, my work cut out for me on this one <laughs> but this one is it's so i decided to go simple rather than crazy um this is i'm calling the beehive it's whiskey and then also honey whiskey and lemon and a little bit of just regular granulated sugar and you shake that up over ice and you pour it over ice you put a lemon wedge on top and you sip it while you i don't know do anything really yeah anything sit on a porch I feel Probably, like it's yeah. like the ideal. If you could manage sure. that, you're doing well. Yeah. Yeah. Conduct complicated surgery, yeah. anything. Oh, <laughs> uh, sure. I mean. <laughs> it, it pairs with all activities. Please, please note, we do not recommend that surgeons partake. Um, and you also mm. brought a snack. Uh, I did Do you want to tell us a little that's, bit about the that's snack? That's kind of what what you do when you cook things you're like oh i gotta bring a snack yeah um yeah i brought a spanish omelet or tortilla española um i was in spain a couple years ago and still haven't gotten over the food there um so i decided to bring it here tonight it's just a potato onion and egg sort of a saute baked uh omelet with some garlic and smoked paprika mayo and it it's awesome. Oh, it's yeah. so it is so cheap awesome. to make. It's relatively easy to make, and it's super delicious. Uh, I'm I'm loving it. Thank you so much for bringing it. Yeah. It. Let's move to what'd you buy? What did you buy? Me? Yeah. <laughs> All right. I, I'll talk first. Um. So coming up, I think in July. Uh, you know, the month we're in now. I uh, Valley of the Dolls has its 50th year anniversary. Saw this great book which has pink, you know, edges. Uh, this this 50th anniversary version. Facing pages? No. I don't know what to call it. It's not end papers. Nope. 
it's where a decal edge would be instead it's pink yeah um and it's i'm very excited to read it what did you buy drew this past weekend uh danny and i went by unnameable books oh which yeah I feel like Namiabla. The, i love that place the last the last of the like major brooklyn bookstores that i had to check off of my okay i moved to the borough now i've got to mm-hmm. check out all these places list mm-hmm. uh where we picked up a copy of ocean vuong's night sky with exit wounds such a good title yeah and then uh i'd guess that's a book of poetry indeed it is <laughs> ding 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 and then the other day uh to balance that out i bought mark danielewski's the familiar volumes two and three how does that balance that out because they're real big okay <laughs> and the collection of poetry is pretty tiny yeah that's huh. you have a weird idea of balance <laughs> uh evan what did you buy uh well today i was in midtown which i uh aim not to be ever uh, <laughs> but i i was there and uh, i was meeting uh my mom for lunch and i went into the barnes and noble near the restaurant and i bought uh the emperor of all maladies um oh, wow. for two dollars which was amazing it was like on some crazy clearance oh yeah uh, which but is probably because barnes and noble is like gonna close and ruin no, the book industry but, no uh, no it's never gonna no, close it's not so i bought that and then at, uh the other day at book court i bought um an adam phillips book called on balance uh he's like one of my uh spiritual leaders he's like a british child psychiatrist who's written all these amazing books and i had a copy of this and i gave it to my brother so i had to buy a new one and and it was there so that's what i bought nice cool that's awesome one of the really cool things about egg and something that i knew about egg long before i knew you uh is the relationship that both you, I guess, and the restaurant have with literature and sort of like making the experience of having food. It's not just a meal. Mm-hmm. You've found very interesting ways to to heighten the experience of sitting down for a meal and like tie it into culture in an interesting way. Uh, with the Table of Contents series, mm-hmm. um, you very graciously came on board as a bellwether artist, one of the companies that I produce for uh, and did an amazing event with Heidi Julevitz about a year ago. She wrote the um, the Vanishers and also put to, helped on Women in Clothes with Sheila Hetty. If you don't yeah. know Heidi and, Julevitz, and the Folded Clock, yes. Yes. which was uh, the book of hers that I was like, "Whoa, this is awesome!" Yeah, that's a special book. <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, I'm curious to know how you came around to doing that and like yeah. what the impetus was for starting to cook in that way. Mm-hmm. Well, George, George and I both before getting into cooking were in, in literature. He was, uh, uh, I always say PhD in like poetry, but I think in literature, uh, candidate up at, in Boston. Really? Yeah. And, um, you know, wrote poetry for years and was working on a book at the time he decided to open egg. Um, and I studied creative writing and philosophy at Tulane and, and was writing poetry and, and took cooking as kind of a gig I could do that would allow me to have my days mostly free and, and write and, and still exist, you know, in that world. Um, and then I think for both of us, not, I think like clearly cooking one out, (laughs) (laughs) it, it, it dominated. Um, but I think we still bring some of the, like maybe the goals or, or the, the mindsets or approaches that we had for our writing or for, for writing and, and the way we engaged through it with the world to cooking. And I think when I started to, to understand uh, that I could do that through food was when food seemed to become 
like a viable option for something I would do with my life. Um, when I was first cooking, it's like, yeah, this is great. You know, you're, you're making delicious food, you're feeding people. That's totally admirable. Um, you're making beautiful plates. Um, but it didn't seem like enough. Uh, and when I started to realize the, the way food acted kind of as this, like, like a hub through which all these different things I cared about, uh, intersected, right. It was like the effect it had on community and the nostalgic nature of food and the, how it relates to our identity and, uh, economy and, and politics, um, and culture is like, wow, it's like a really powerful thing. Um, and not that I was able to like express that relationship that I was hoping to have with food in, in every cooking job or experience I had. But when I got to egg and after I'd been there for a couple of years, I found sort of a kindred spirit in George. And, um, I had had this idea in my head since I was at Tulane when I was taking this class by a professor named Dale Edmonds. It was his last class. He was teaching at Tulane after like 30 years, he called it last call and nice. he just picked his favorite books and taught them. Um, oh, that'd and be awesome. yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> and I wasn't supposed to be in the class as like a, a sophomore and it was supposed to be for seniors, but I just kept going to the class and he was like, okay, you can stay. <laughs> um, which is actually, I think how most people like get jobs in restaurant, like good restaurants. You just keep going until they like get tired of telling, you no. Um, <laughs> so, uh, we were reading the sun also rises and I would read this, you know, it was in New Orleans. So I'd read it in the backyard of a friend's house with a bottle of wine and like get pretty drunk and be like, Oh, this food looks, sounds amazing. And they're just drinking <laughs> all the time. And like all the Hemingway things you do when you're like young and stupid. <laughs> um, and I was like, man, we should, I wish I could cook like, or eat the food in this book. And years later I brought that idea up to George. It's like, Hey, why don't we do like a, a literary dinner? And, and we, we did it. And we started with the food book fair, um, which is a great event that happens yearly over at the White hotel. Um, and we kind of used it as the closing event for that, for that weekend. And, um, and the first book was, uh, the sun also rises. And it was just, it was amazing. People loved, loved it, loved the experience. It felt, it felt new. Um, and there were a lot of interesting, um, intersections between like the literary side of things and the culinary side of things that came together and in ways, I don't think either of us anticipated setting out to do it, but we've since kind of seen repeated. Being a, a chef affect your reading it a lot now or ever since you started doing this or even before? Yeah, um, certain, certainly uh, it does. And, and the reading that I did as I was kind of becoming sort of like enlightened about food's role in, in, in the world and developing my relationship to it, uh, things like Wendell Berry and Michael Pollan, like these like great writers about food um, that shaped the reading that I was doing was shaping the cooking, uh, that I was engaging with. Um, but at the same time, because I was cooking, I was also, I didn't know anything when I started, I was truly just like faking it. Like I, I worked at this restaurant in Westport, Connecticut called the dressing room, which was a great, like super sustainable, like locally sourced restaurant. The chef there is way ahead of his time in, in the sustainability movement. And I somehow like walked in there, got a job because the person who was hiring, like, it was like, okay, great. You don't know that much. You won't have bad habits. We can teach you. And he's like, you can work the grill. Like, okay. And I had probably fudged on my resume, like about like my experience. <laughs> I'd worked really briefly at a po' boy shop down in New Orleans and like learned nothing except like 
super hilarious cursing, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, uh, and so I go into work the grill. I'm like, okay, sure, I, I guess I can do that. And it's this like six foot long, like just wood burning grill. And you're like, I get the logs in the morning. We light the fire. We like build the fire. You like manage the heat, cook like meats, fish, vegetables, all these things in the grill. And I had no fucking clue what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> so the first night of service, like the exemplary story is I was cooking burgers and I was cutting them in half after I like put them together and like put them on the bone. I was like, okay, that looks good. You know, and after a little while, like pretty quickly, maybe a half hour, an hour or so, someone, I think the chef walked in and, and was like, who the fuck is cutting the burgers in half? <laughs> and like looked over at me and was like about to yell at me. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't know. I thought that's how we were supposed to do it. Of course I didn't, nobody cuts a burger in half if it's <laughs> to you unless you're a child. Um, <laughs> and, but at that point I had kind of learned like, okay, it takes this long for a medium, this long for a rare, this long for and like can't figure that out. So there's a lot of that. Um, and I got way uh, away from the question of uh, affecting my reading, but I was reading as many cookbooks as I could to try to learn as much as possible in like a super condensed time. And then that affected my writing and I got pretty upset about it because I was writing poems with like lots of food in them. I was like, this isn't serious work. Like I, <laughs> I want to write about the human condition, not tomatoes and whatever. Um, and then my first published poem was about a tomato and that was uh, <laughs> that complicated things for me. <laughs> Just for our listeners who might be unfamiliar, you do the big dinners where you sort of make an entire dinner based around a book, but mm-hmm. then uh, semi-monthly. Yeah, we try to do these monthly readings. Which yeah, are- and I've I've been to a couple now, and it's just, it's cool. You get two or three authors to come in, and you pull something, either an actual dish out of the book, mm-hmm. or some sort of like, inter- in the same way, Christopher, that you sort of make a drink mm-hmm. inspired by a book. It's just fun to sit there, and like, the author will read a little bit, and then you swoop out from the kitchen, and you're like, <laughs> and now here is this thing, and it's like, oh, from what they were just reading. It's pretty it's amazing the reaction like and and I think like I like we hope that it really enhances your feeling of understanding or like connection to the text right because like you read things and you mentally taste them or have a sense of what they're like but to actually have that dish and to to have to encounter and like confront that dish in front of you and to eat it and ingest it physically it's like like I wasn't really expecting to like have this close relationship with this book, um, <laughs> but all right. Um, yeah. It is a very intimate yeah. thing to be, to, to pull that out and have that right next to you. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, it's been something that I try, I've, I've tried to do in my reading for a long time. We've talked, we talk about this sometimes on the show, like uh, having an orange uh, when we were reading, oh, yeah. like, um, Station Eleven by M- uh-huh. Emily Saint uh, Saint John Mandel, like eating an orange just because like they don't have oranges anymore and they mention that they uh-huh. miss them. It's like ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am. Be- some people I'm- some people do it out of altruism. Some do you just it like out of petty sadism. with the characters. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to each their own and to each moment their own. You don't right. know. How much <laughs> you know. Sometimes you want to spite your characters and sometimes you want yeah. to join them. <laughs> well, it's true. It's true. It's it's one of the things we've talked about. Um, like one of the best parts about doing the reading series version of the of tables of contents is 
you know, we get to talk with authors, the authors afterwards uh, about their process and about the role food plays in their work. And, and we get really interesting responses to And I think in some cases, there are questions that maybe authors haven't thought of like consciously um, because food just finds its way into things. You're like, why did I use that? Like, what, what does that mean? Um, and talking about in a lot of, in a, a fair number of in- instances and in Sarah's book, for example, like food is not always a source of pleasure or like existing in a context of pleasure the way it generally does in our lives mm-hmm. and trying to translate that into the dish and not just like making something delicious where it wouldn't make sense for something to just be like delicious. Like if the scene that it comes from or the book is like more complicated than that, how do you express that in the food? And like, how, how do you like, how much can you, can you honor what's going on through food? Um, you're talking about about her novel girl at war, War, which is literally a a young child soldier at war. So that's, that's, uh, whatever they're eating is a little different. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. <laughs> yeah. So why don't we pivot? You actually did a table of contents for this book that we read for the podcast. Yes, yes, yes um, you did. Zora Neale Hurston's Their Eyes Were Watching God. And before we get to the table of contents, I do want to talk about first, I'll, I'll admit, I definitely had a bias from, you know, 14 year old me Uh who thought that this book was impenetrable Mm. and you know, for some reason, even though that opinion is a 14 year old's opinion, it's something I carried over into adulthood. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think it's one of the, and we've discovered this a couple of times, like super tragic uh, part of our educational system is that you read these amazing books when you're young and then everyone's like oh yeah i read that you know when you're an adult you're like yeah i read to kill a mockingbird when i was in whatever i read i was watching god like it was fine and <laughs> and you're like well if it was just fine you wouldn't be reading it and like it wouldn't just have you read it in school and when i've gone back to cook from them it's just like holy fuck these books are like like i ama- i've left these books both those books in particular so shaken mm-hmm. uh it's like really like thankful that I I got back to them somehow, right. That this was a way to get back to reading those books, which probably I would have been the same way. Like, yeah. 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 I read that. I have a low opinion of it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm immensely thankful that I did come back to this book because I just a coming to it from, from having lived for a little while, which Uh I think uh, with a book like this is especially important, Mm -hmm. but also just like having read a little more, even a little more widely. Mm hmm. Like, if I had read this as even a senior in high school, I wonder if I would have had a different impression of it. Mm -hmm. Before we go any further, I guess for anyone who hasn't read the book, or who read it in high school and has since been like, fuck it, uh, it is the story of a woman, Janie Crawford. Uh, She... She has several last names over the course of the book. And she's telling the story of her life. Yeah, she's come back home after some sort of tragic event, and she's recounting to her best friend, like, well, yep, here's what's happened over the last 30-ish years. Yeah, um, I saw some shit. Yeah. <laughs> so why did, why did you bring this to us, this podcast? Why, why was it time to talk about it? Well, uh, this book... 
it's kind of, it's kind of, it has, there are a lot of layers, right? So we did the tables of contents dinner on this book, but why do we do that in the first place? Um, it's a book I've been wanting to do for a while because I actually grew up for about eight years in Maitland, Florida, the town next to Eatonville huh. where the mm. book is set. Um, and where Zorna Hurston lived. Um, and I hadn't gone back to read it since I was, since I was little. And after reading To Kill a Mockingbird <clears throat> and having the experience of that, I was like, I got to go back and read this book. Um, and we had kind of done some books that had like a Southern vibe to them because egg is a Southern restaurant and sort of made sense. Um, and things lined up in a really great, great way. I was, I wanted to really get into this book and like do some more research about it before we approached it. Um, from a culinary perspective and uh, even bringing it here now to the, to this podcast and, and doing the dinner about it, there was like a, a bit of like concern about it, right? Like George and I are two white guys uh, cooking from, you know, one of the great black women authors uh, trying to, trying to interpret and like bring out, out something suggests that we have something to say about that book. Right. Just like we would like, it's hard for us on the surface to suggest that we have anything really significant to say about this book is like three Brooklyn white dudes, you know, sitting around. <laughs> um, and so I, I wanted to make sure, but, but I did have a connection to it, like a personal like connection to it, to the place and like reading the book and, and hearing the names of things and lakes and whatever that I, I knew from my childhood, like I, I connected with it on that level um, immediately. Um, so I was going down to Miami to do a dinner on a Gertrude Stein uh, book and on my way there, I spent some time in Eatonville and Maitland. You're just like walking around, like refeeling the place, like refeeling what central Florida is like going to Eatonville, which like as a child, like probably had almost no, uh, awareness of, you know, as a town next to Maitland, it's like 90% black Maitland's like 90% white. And it, there wasn't a lot of overlap. Um, and it felt important to go back and, and kind of see what was really there and, and try to try to understand it in, in a, in a more significant way before I was going to cook from this book. And I'm really glad I did because I met some great people there. I talked to a lot of uh, people from the town, uh, the docent who runs these or in a Hurston museum down there, just cool. learned, learned a bunch. Um, reread Zora's autobiography, dust tracks on the road. Um, reread this a few times and it's just such a good, it's like such a good book <laughs> I mean, from the yeah. first, the first line, right? It's like, um, oh, it's so, so, good. so like beautiful and powerful, um, you know, ships at a distance have every man's wish on board, um, all the way to the end. Like there's an amazing balance of what could get into like, and I think, uh, you know, she, she avoids it perfectly, like get into this kind of like romantic or like, overly folkloric, uh, cliche descriptions or, or stories or whatever. But she, you know, Zora herself was so well researched, knew so much about black folklore and was able to translate the feelings and the realities of, of that existence in this town, which was the first free black town in the U S you yeah. know, uh, Without into, a into literature didactic. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it doesn't feel like she's like, and then this happened. Like right. it never feels like that. It feels very much driven by passion and character. Yeah. And throughout um, reading the book, like at, at, at different times, I felt like nauseous. I felt like near <laughs> tears. I was reading this in the subway and like laughing out loud and like people around it, like uncontrollably just yeah. like there's so much humor in this book. It's, it's hilarious. Um, and there's a lot of great food, you know? So, so that's why we ended up bringing it to the dinner series. And, 
you know, I just think it's one of those books worth revisiting and maybe, I guess that's why I brought it, I brought it here. Do you want to talk about the, the menu? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I can say that I was lucky enough to be eating at egg while you guys were prepping for the dinner, uh, and got to, uh, sneak a tea cake. <laughs> oh good <laughs> which i was like this is this is the best possible sort of like ah, joke for a book ever because i feel like tea cake himself would have been like nice nice yeah so i hope so so I there's hope. three um there's three men that sort of shape shape the book uh-huh. uh she moves from one to the next to the next there's mr willicks yeah willicks logan um, logan, logan willicks um, and then there's Jody Starks, who starts the town and who's mm-hmm. definitely the mayor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's Tea Cake, yeah, or or Mr. Woods, right? But he prefers Tea Cake. So when we we approached it for the meal um, with a book like this, and also we found like with a book like To Kill a Mockingbird, where they're books with plenty of food and plenty of Southern food that's um, hearty and simple and like enjoyable and right in our wheelhouse as a restaurant. Like we know how to cook these things and people would expect them when they came to egg. There's an interesting, like for us, it was an interesting question to, to consider is like how to, how to approach that side of the book, but also how to not reduce the book to the kind of like almost stereotypical, like foods of the black South or foods of the South. Um, and you know, with this book, we had one, we had a couple courses that were pretty straightforward and um, comforting. We had a, a fried rabbit and beans course. They cook fried rabbit in the book and mm-hmm. um, it's different. We serve fried chicken and, and rabbits kind of a new thing for some people. So there's a little bit of novelty to it, but it's also something that people can get into and, and be comforted by. Um, and uh, there were a couple courses that we served that were a little bit more, uh, I don't know, interpretive, um, that, that didn't necessarily have to do with food um, in the book. One of them was, you know, one of the great scenes and the images from the book is Joe standing on the, the dead carcass of, of Matt Bonner's mule you know, after they drag it out of town <laughs> and giving this whole speech about like mule heaven. Um, and we did, we did a dish kind of based around the description there, which has like so much of the humor of the book in, in that line. It says, uh, he spoke of the joys of mule heaven to which the dear brother had departed this valley of sorrow, the mule angels flying around, the miles of green corn and cool water, a pasture of pure bran with a river of molasses running through it, and most glorious of all, no Matt Bonner with plow lines and halters to come in and corrupt. This <laughs> <laughs> like, is like so amazing, and there's like there's those small moments of transition, like between this like uh, imagery based description of something to like just this like sharp accessible like familiar like humor um i don't know i think her balance and in the book is 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 perfect um and then the other course we did was the one that raised the most kind of question between ourselves between george and i i'm sorry what was that course? oh sorry that yeah Yeah. what was the course the course was dessert and we did um pasture bran with molasses river so we made a bran cake uh, we baked, it had like uh, bran flour in it and some dried fruit and we baked it, but then crumbled it up and like spread it crumbled along the plate with some herbs on it. I think there was some tarragon, um, maybe some mint. So it was like this green and brown, like a field, like a new field. Um, and there was some 
some other nuts and sort of grains mixed in there. And then we had a molasses uh, caramel sauce with, made with some vinegar. And we poured that like over the plate and through the center of it. So there's like molasses sauce running through this pasture of bran. So, so it's kind of like, it's, it's almost exactly what the description <laughs> is in the book, but that description has nothing to do with on first reading with food. It's something you would consume, right? So yeah. we were to bring that horse heaven meal (laughs) into into our mouths and it was weird like it was so weird to like cook into plate and even the flavors were like not not like uh objectively delicious right it's a little bit more like challenging and experiential but but the experience of it i think a lot of people like many people said that was one of their, their favorite courses of the night um and then another one which i think was probably my favorite course to to conceive of and cook that night and a lot and i think the most powerful chorus of the meal was um a visual representation of this description after janie and t cake have gone after after the storm um Mm. spoiler alert there's a hurricane um (laughs) and uh after the storm there there you know tons of bodies to be buried and basically t cake gets caught by some like white authorities who are rounding people up mainly black men to bury the bodies um and there are descriptions of them taking these totally like um, disfigured, unrecognizable bodies, like to the point of like they don't know what race they are, they don't know if they're male, female, whatever. Um, and they're burying them in pits, and the the white police officers, whoever they are, stop stop the workers and like make sure you separate the white and the black bodies and like, well, we can't tell which one's which, how can you do that? And, and, and why? And they say they're, they're making coffins for the white bodies and they're just throwing the black bodies in, into the pits and they eventually have them look at the hair. They're like, Oh, that's, how you can tell, look at the hair and like separate the straight hair, you know, whatever. And, um, and there's just like, there's not a lot of discussion in the book of the racism of that time. You know, it's like kind of because it's set in an all black town, it's kind of like, uh, cordoned off in a way, you know, I really wanted to cook something from that scene because it seemed like that was, that was a part of the book we couldn't leave out, right? We couldn't just cook these books, these, these dishes of, of pleasure, uh, moments of pleasure in the book where they're sitting down and sharing a meal and having a good time and the fire is warm or whatever, that sort of like feeling that exists at, at many points in the book. Um, so we did a dish, we made a, a grits cake, um, so we cook some grits and set them in a pan and cut them into rectangles and floured them and fried them. And it had this like light sort of pine colored exterior. And these were the, the coffins. And then we had roasted hen of the woods mushrooms, which are, if you've seen them before, maitake or hen of the woods, it was like kind of skeletal, like brain looking mushrooms. You pull them apart and they're very oddly shaped. Um, and they kind of had this like splayed limb effect to them and roasted them. And they were dark and we had a, a leek ash that we put on top and a, a like a reduced pork sauce or something. So these like wet, dirty, soggy looking mushrooms, they're delicious. But the plate was the most, certainly the most stark of the whole meal. And so everyone reads the way I should have said this before, like the way you encounter the meal at first is when you sit down, you don't have a menu. Um, you have a stack of bookmarks and each bookmark has the passage and the course. And so you kind of, reveal them as you go along and you read the passage and then you see the, the brief description of the course underneath and then you're served it. So, you know, the people who are sitting down in this room, read the passage of, of the, the burial and the coffins and the discarding of the black bodies. And it's like, kind of like, a, oof, you know, 
sort of thing to read. And then this gets set in front of you. It's just like a stark, like, you know, basically looks like a coffin and, and a body. Um, and there's like a, you, you can see in the room, just like having that put set in front of them and like being challenged to eat this and enjoy this, uh, is like a intense experience. It's, it's intense just to listen to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you have a preconceived notion of this book because of high school and have even read it in high school. I'm just going to say like change your, change that idea of it and, and reread this if that's if that's where you're at. And if you just, you know, you somehow missed it because you weren't in that class in high school for whatever reason or whatever <laughs> or it was decided not to read it. Yeah. Or you just, yeah. We've you, all been there. You Don't copied lie. off your, you skipped <laughs> straight to the blowing it up in the mailbox. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you just read spark notes. Um, if you did that, you know, I think it's check it out cause it's, it, it feels completely modern. Like the idea that it was written in 1937 is insane mm-hmm. because yeah. it does not, it reads like anything that if you said this book came out two years ago or whatever you would, I would, yeah, yeah, it doesn't. It, it's completely and utterly timeless. And you know, coming from her, like Zora Neale Hurston is like kind of this timeless, certainly well ahead of her time. You know, woman. It's it's kind of not surprising. Um, yeah. But it's it's very reflective of I don't know her her honesty and her disregard for what might have been expected of her or or, or writing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It yeah. does that thing that that you always hope classics will do, where it just. It doesn't matter when it was written. It mm-hmm. speaks straight to the truth of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, let's move to recommendations. Huh? Yeah. Speaking of the, have you heard of? Yeah. Um, Drew, do you want to you want to start us off? Uh, sure. I have another one. Uh, we were talking a little earlier about Hemingway. Uh, and this year I have been, since I didn't read any Hemingway in school, I didn't have mm. to. And I also, for whatever reason, never thought like, this is something I ought to read anyway. Uh, I just read, I finished it on the way here and like actually burst into tears on the train on the way here. Been there. Um, to have and have not. Which it's about a, a guy sort of doing smuggling runs between Key West and Cuba uh, right around the time of the revolution in Cuba. And it, like, there's this, it's, it's a good thriller. It's like a good sort Mm -hmm. of like proto, uh, John le Carre sort of like Mm -hmm. thriller. But then the very end of the book, he all of a sudden just like does this sort of Virginia Wolfy thing of like spinning through a bunch of people's heads as they're all sleeping in these boats in the Marina. And like, Spoilers, the last boat that comes in has, like, this guy who's hanging on to life um, after, like, a shootout with some Cubans on the high seas. But as he goes through these heads and, like, talks about their struggles and their strifes and their happinesses and, like, the the people who have died because of certain people and the people who have lived because of other ones, I, it, hmm. it was the first moment with Hemingway where I was like, oh, he's not just an amazing writer Mm. like the actual act of writing he knew some shit Mm -hmm. about humanity Mm. um and it's one of those ones that like is never mentioned in the first breath of hemingway but Mm -hmm. i definitely recommend it Mm. 
Evan, how about you? That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'm reading 1004 by Ben Lerner right now. Nice. It's pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. I really, I really like that. I'm not all the way through it, so I'm not sure that I can recommend it entirely, but I can recommend reading at least half of it so far. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I've been re- recommending. Uh, it's what I said I bought earlier, but Adam Phillips, if you haven't read him and are looking for like ways to really fuck with yourself. Um, <laughs> it's a very direct way of doing that. Um, he, he has a bunch of, uh, amazing, amazing books. Um, probably the first one I would suggest to read is a book called on, on kissing, tickling and being bored. And, uh, Done. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like an amazing title also. <laughs> um, but he has, yeah, tons of books just, uh, partly about, or at least uh, incidentally about his, some case, case studies. Uh, but then it just moves into, it's like Oliver Sacks sort of like sort of, but, uh, I think even like beyond, um, in, in the depth that he gets to. Can you recommend a a cookbook or something that you're cooking from? Yeah, that's a good idea. So, um, the Basque book by Alex Raj. Um, she has Chiquito and Lavara and El Quinto Pino and a new restaurant called Tecoa. Um, two of them down in my neighborhood and is a good friend of mine and an amazing, amazing cook. Um, I love Basque food. Um, you can definitely get a recipe for the Spanish tortilla uh, in that book. Um, also, Brooks Headley's book called Fancy Desserts is one of the best reads of a cookbook that you'll ever find. His voice is so good. He's like a punk rock drummer turned three Michelin star sort of sh- or two Michelin <laughs> star, whatever, like amazing pastry chef. Um, and just the stories and the tone of these, some of which are like extremely fastidious, like fancy dessert recipes written from like, yeah, so like fuck everything and like sort of like, <laughs> <laughs> sort of like punk vibe um, is amazing. Um, and then the one of my favorite cookbooks ever is called Roast Chicken and Other Stories by a British chef named Simon Hopkinson. It's one of the first cookbooks ever really cooked from down in New Orleans. I made like my first fancy meal for um, my girlfriend down there. Like it was so, so cliche. It was like whole roasted heads of garlic, like spread on bread. And I was like, look how amazing I am. (laughs) Um, but the, the voice in that book is, is really comforting and, uh, and hilarious and British. And right now maybe we need to hear some British voices, especially the comforting (laughs) ones. Yeah. Right. Not, not the ones we are hearing, which are the crazy thing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Chef. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, we really appreciate it. This was really fun. Thank, thanks for having me. And thanks I feel, for... I feel more literate already. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for recommending this book. I mean, it was great to, to, to revisit it and realize that I never really visited it the first time. Yeah, this is... Uh, this, this made me... This changed my life. You, the restaurant's like butter or shell or what is it called? (laughs) (laughs) You think it would be the easiest name to remember, but it's too easy.